Thank you. Great. Well, we've been looking at the letter of the Galatians that Paul, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and um, it's, a, it's a, a letter that is quite feisty. Uh, have you looked at this letter as a church um, before? Looked at a bit, maybe? Some, some, maybe some of you have looked at it in times gone by. But Paul is very loving and yet feisty to the churches in what we believe is southern Galatia that he's writing to. He's saying, why have you gone back into slavery? You were free you were called to freedom, and now you're going back into slavery. You see, what happened was there were people that come into the church and essentially said this, great, you've trusted Jesus as Savior, but you need to now go and perform a number of things, particularly circumcision, and then you can be a part of the real church. In other words, Jesus is like the rocket boosters to get you into orbit, uh, and then it's up to you. And you've got to now put on your bit to get you to heaven. It's a doctrine of faith plus your own works. And Paul is very clear. I want to take you back briefly to chapter 2, verse 20. There is a high point. It's like the, the centerpiece of the book, or the letter, I should say, as Paul writes these words in verse 20. He, he makes what's called the proposition, the propositio. And he says this in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is so powerful because it's faith alone in Jesus Christ that brings about salvation. It's us resting completely on what he has done. And I don't want to make any assumptions here this afternoon because I don't know you all. What I want to say to you is this, Jesus is to be received by faith alone. That's the whole point of this verse. I am crucified with Christ. When, when you die, you can't offer anything. It's literally just death. I've got nothing to offer. I can't take with me. You know, like kind of those old graves of the the, uh, Egyptians or others, even burial mounds nearby here, and they had loads of stuff with them when they died, packed full of their riches and sometimes their servants as well. And it's just all packed in there. All that I have, I'm going to take with me. No, not with salvation. Salvation is all about Christ. He was the one that died. He was the one that gave his all because he was the only one that had the all to give. Therefore, for a Christian, we are entering into his death. By his death, we are given life. I am crucified with Christ. Becoming a Christian is dying to self, letting Christ become your salvation. And because we enter into a relationship with him by what he has done, when we die with him, we are raised up with him into new life. And that's what the verse goes on to say. Christ now lives in me. It's his life that lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, because we carry on living. Uh, don't hear me say that when you become a Christian, you have to die literally. You die in your, in your old self. The old man dies. But you carry on living with his life. And you live it out by works. Is that right? Some of you are unsure. <laughs> you live it out by faith. By faith. The life I live now is lived In Jesus Christ, the one who died for me and the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this love is incredible. 
And yet, what's interesting is you don't see the word love appear. That's the first time it appears in the letter from chapter 1 right through to the end. And the, last, the, the, the next time it appears is in chapter 5. Have a look at chapter 5. Flick back with me to chapter 5. And I think there's a reason for this, because as Paul goes on through his letter, he's really trying to be firm with them. In chapter 3, he's saying, who's bewitched you? What are you doing? In modern terms, it's like he's saying to them, are you crazy? What are you doing? You've just traded the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ for emptiness and nothingness and, and a false assurance, because you're going back to what you can do. And so he's really trying to hammer home this point. It's justification through faith. But when he gets to chapter 5, he now just wants to start to say to people, now what does it look like? What does living in Jesus look like? And so you see in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. We're free to live in him. There's so much we could say about the verse, but that's not going to be our focus today. But look at verse 6. He begins using this word love again. For in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision or uncircumcision. It doesn't matter whether you come into the church in one of those two conditions, but neither of these things matter. Only faith working through love. He goes on to say in verse 13, as we just read, but through love serve one another. So I want to take up this theme of serving one another in love. And the danger that we have in our humanness is that we have a leaning back to law. There are times when we go back to what we can do for God and and feel our satisfaction and our joy in what we've offered him rather than trusting in what he has done and letting our life be a response. And so as we look at this, this one sentence, but through love serve one another... I'd like us to press into the connection between the two. In other words, what Paul is not saying is this. Through your own love, and, and by being loving, make sure that's how you serve. Like, that, that is true. We should love, lovingly serve. But I, want, I, I believe Paul is saying that it's through another love that we serve. The emphasis is not on the love we can muster up, but the love that has been freely given. It's through Christ's love that we can serve. But through the love of Christ, serve one another. This may sound really obvious, but this is the key to our Christian living. It's not Christ did his work, now we have to do our bit. It's through Christ, through the gospel, staying central in our lives, we continue a life of love through his love. His love was the love that brought him down to earth to rescue us. His was the love that caused him to die on a cross. His was the love which invites us into a relationship through his death. And this isn't the only passage that deals with it. I'm I'm going to just read a couple of other passages just for our enrichment, really. I haven't got time to Look at the context of each of them. So forgive me if they, the verses just appear to be plucked out of context, but it's really just for us to be enriched in this theme for a moment. So indulge me for a moment. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. It's his love that helps us do what we do. 
Ephesians 3, verse 19. We're called to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's through his love. Ephesians 5, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. We can only walk in that love when Christ has first loved us. 2 Thessalonians 3. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. Jude chapter 1, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And Romans 13, which is really a parallel to um, Galatians 5. There's a number of similarities with the passages. In fact, there's a lot of similarities between Romans and Galatians if you look at them and what they're arguing. I'll invite you to press into that maybe another time. But Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except... Can you finish the verse off? To love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. It's kind of what Paul was saying here in this verse. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. And he's making the same point to the Romans. And what I love about that passage is right at the end in verse 14, having said love one another, he then urges them right at the end to put on Christ. So they're loving one another and putting on Christ go hand in hand. When we know the love of Christ, when we've experienced him, we can love others. Therefore, Paul can say, we have been united with Christ. We're crucified with him. And this is the way we can love others. It's a love that is growing in our hearts every time we meet with him. Every time we talk with him in prayer. Every time we come to him in reality, not out of duty, but in reality. Just meet with our Savior. It's a love that's fostered in fellowship. When you meet together at times like this, when we meet at North Swindon, we're fostering the love of Christ. We're blessing one another if Christ is in us. But I want to to highlight just one particular thing. As we think of the connection between love and serving one another, I want to talk to you this morning about the secret place. You might be thinking, hang on, Galatians 5 verse 13 doesn't mention the secret place. Um, I'm not seeking to read it into the text. But I want to say this, how can we serve in a way that is through love, the love of Christ? How can we serve in a way that doesn't make it all about us? It's when we serve through understanding and knowing Christ in his love. It's through knowing him. And where best can we foster that love between us and Christ? Where, where best can we know his love? I just want to encourage you in thinking about the secret place. I want to give a bit of personal testimony as to why um, this has been on my heart in this particular way. Um, in, in my upbringing, I, it's difficult to describe my upbringing. One thing it definitely was, was loving. I'm really thankful I was born into a Christian family. My parents deeply love me and uh, continue to and accept me for who I am. And so I'm thankful for that. But the kind of church environment that I was in led me, and I'm not blaming my church environment, I want to say that I grew up with some bad habits that I developed. We all have bad habits. Some next to us are agreeing that we do have bad habits. <laughs> One of my bad habits was that I, I learned to live, I developed this habitual thinking of this battle between my success and my failure. That's really how I measured my life as a professing Christian. Let me explain a bit more. Jesus had already done his bit and now I felt obliged to do mine. 
And for many years, that's how I interpreted it. On a good day, when I mustered up the strength to have my quiet time, when I was 14, I really got excited. got a big King James Bible, Thompson chain reference, and I wore a suit to church, and I just, you know, kind of, I, that was it. But, but what it led to was this, and I'm not knocking that at all. Please don't hear me. That's bad to wear a suit or bad to use a King James. That's not the point. The point is my heart was obsessed with trying to do what I could. And so on the days it worked, guess how I felt? But on the days I didn't have a quiet time, which is most of them, I was miserable. And I just lived constantly between whether I could do my bit for God or or whether I couldn't. And I viewed the days that I had my quiet time as success and the days I didn't and I kind of entered into other stuff in my mind and heart or in action, then that was was self-obsession. What I didn't realize is that they were both self-obsession that true about us in our hearts? You can be as righteous as you like and still be totally self-obsessed. In fact, more self-obsessed sometimes. And this was my life. It just kind of going between the two. If someone told me, come on, you need to just gaze on the beauty of the Lord, I'd add it to the list. <laughs> Another thing to do. I've got to be holy, righteous, have my quiet time, and I've got to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. It's just kind of, you could see the mess I was getting in. And, and honestly, I have been struggling with that ever since, and I'm thankful the Lord is helping me and has used Cordeo in a mighty way to help me see beyond that, and I'm growing. I'm not there yet. I don't think I ever will be, but I, I trust I'm growing. So I've come, I'm coming to learn that the secret place and trusting Christ in the secret place, in the place that no one else sees, is key to serving like him, to, to have that time with the Lord. Now, what do I mean by the secret place? Let me try and define what I, what I mean. I tend to think of, well, sorry, we tend to think of the secret place as like a closet. Like Jesus said, go into your closet and close the door when you pray. And so we kind of sometimes think of it as a location. Has anyone kind of got a location they like going to to be with God? And I'm not knocking that this afternoon because that's great. If you've got a you know, downstairs cupboard or a study or wherever it is, a garden shed where you just like to go and be alone with the Lord um, or maybe a, a place, a walk that you go, it's, it's great. But I'm not talking about that as the secret place. Let's explore this kind of idea. I'm going to quote from the King James Bible since I mentioned it. Uh, Psalm 91, it says this, He that dwells or dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's the whole idea of shelter, this kind of place of refuge. And again, we tend to think of a physical place. But Psalm 27 says this, One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And in in verse 5, For in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle. You get this idea that there's a place of refuge for a child of God in that secret place. If if we were to best think of a secret place on earth, I think we should think of the, the most holy place, the place where only one person could go once a year. But at the cross that place was torn open. At the cross, we are able to enter into that place. So no longer is the tabernacle, the the most holy place in the tabernacle or or the temple, a secret place anymore. 
What, what has become, if you like, if there was a secret place, where has that become now? If the Holy Spirit now does not dwell, or if God does not dwell in the temple, where does the Holy Spirit come to dwell in the life of a, a new covenant Christian? In our hearts. So it, it, all I want to say by that is, I, when I'm talking about the secret place, I'm not talking about the, the, the kitchen table where you have your quiet time or your study. I'm talking about our hearts. This is the ultimate secret place. This is the place that you go to or that you are in that sometimes no one else knows about. It's the place where you live. It's the overflow of your heart and how, uh, what you love and what you value. Everything you do, everything you say flows out of this place. I meant to um, give a, a little memory stick to Mike. Is it too late to chuck a memory stick your way for some photos? That's fine. Okay. <laughs> iPad. Okay, imagine them on here. Uh, I had a a photo of a a football mad family, and they dedicated a whole room, like a shrine, to England. And they'd had a green AstroTurf carpet put in there, and flags on the wall, and they had a cardboard cutout of Roy Hodgson looking pessimistic, which is probably a build-up to the Euro 2016 finals. And it was just really, it was funny. Um, and there was a, another uh, place um, that someone had in their bedroom. It was a shrine dedicated to One Direction. Again, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, we, we have our Christian equivalent, you know, our, our little place. I, I want to describe it really as, has anyone seen The Truman Show? It's a film, The Truman Show. If you haven't seen The Truman Show, it's really worth seeing. It's this guy, and when I say that, I then have to be careful it's not a whole load of spoilers. But um, it's a guy who is on TV, like Coronation Street. He's a star in a massive set of Coronation Street equivalent in America, but he doesn't know. He was born and brought up in the set, and he thinks the set is real. He thinks that is life. So he's going about his daily business, and what he doesn't realize is that the whole world tunes in and watches him, and it's almost like a cruel trick on one person. In fact, it was quite funny because it led... Uh, well, not funny, that's probably not the right word. Uh, it, it, I read afterwards it had led lots of people who were kind of struggling with their own identity to think that they were on the Truman Show and that the whole world was around them. That was quite a, an interesting you know, kind of follow-on from the film. That was how well the film was done. You start looking around, looking for hidden cameras. But in this film, Tr- Truman has this, this chest in his basement. And as he, the film develops, he starts to realize, maybe this isn't reality. Maybe this isn't where I'm at. And he keeps going back to this chest, and there's this lady he met years ago, and there's a photo of her that he keeps in the chest, or he's kind of pieced it together from different photos. He, he tries to build an image of this person, and he wants to escape. And it kind of, for me, describes the secret place. It's the place where our greatest desires and that the thing that we really long for is. I wonder what that is for you. I wonder what that is for me. The, the, the real us, if you like, that secret place. That's what I'm trying to describe. It's the place that you take along with you wherever you are. For example, in the workplace. When a person attends work, but every day they spend good chunks of the day dreaming of their secret place. (laughs) Dreaming of where they wish they were, whether it's Barbados or promotion or demotion or whatever it is, um, winning the lottery. That, That place in your dreams, that place that you want to be. Maybe it's a person who's in a conversation with someone else and that other person is just tuning out 
have to confess, parents, as parents we do this sometimes, our kids are just babbling on about their day and enjoying telling us, and we're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I get caught out sometimes, because they go, so what do you think? And I go, I'm really sorry, you're going to have to tell me that again, because I wasn't, wasn't listening. I don't know if anyone else, is it me just the only one, or has anyone else done that before? Okay, there's a few of us here, <laughs> few. You know, that, that place where you're just, the priority of your mind takes you somewhere else and you're living in that moment rather than where God has called you. Or maybe a person engaging in marital intimacy and yet in their heart, they're imagining themselves with another person. They're living out of their secret place when no one else sees. The big idea that I'd love for us to think about is that the quality of our relationship with Jesus in the secret place will have an impact in our ability to serve others. The quality of our relationship with Jesus in the secret place, not what we can muster up for him, but just simply being with him, will have a direct impact on our ability to serve others in love. The trouble is we don't always serve well, and we struggle, but it's not because we haven't squeezed enough love out of our love tube onto onto serving. It will be because... The love of Christ was not big enough in our view. His love for us, his beauty uh, and joy of serving and giving himself so freely was not big enough in my view. And that's when I lose it with other people. That's when I get impatient. That's when I resist the the, uh, opportunity God's given me to serve. It's Jesus and his view. When we spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus, we will grow in having a right view of God. God can be trusted. When you see Jesus and meet with Jesus, you can trust God. You can take him at his word. The, the son represents the father to you, and you can, you can see how, how you can trust in the father. When we, when we sit with Jesus at his feet, you know, it changes our view of ourself. We, sin, see, we see us for who we are. We find ourselves affirmed as adopted children when we sit at his feet and just it frees us up to serve. When we sit at the feet of Jesus, we will grow in having a right view of sin. You know, when, when we struggle to see sin for what it is, when we just label sin as outward stuff that we do, bad words we say or losing our temper or whatever that sin is, we haven't really gone far enough, we haven't really understood. But when we see it as, as our heart desiring other things or other people other than God, when we have a robust view of what sin is, when we see sin as the inward curve ultimately serving ourself, not God, it helps. It helps us to then live in a way that confesses that sin in a a right way. And as we're thinking about this afternoon, serving others will come from sitting at the feet of Jesus. Compassion, patience, generosity, and love will continue to replace judgment and cynicism and frustration and bitterness. There's a danger of calling it a quiet time. When I talk about sitting at the feet of Jesus, sometimes we think of quiet time and we think of just an hour in the day. And if you have the privilege or the joy of having that hour, I'd Thank God for that, and I really would encourage you to to guard the times you have with God, whether you're a morning person or an evening person or an any-time-of-the-day person. Anyone an any-time-of-the-day person? I've never met one yet, but maybe you are. Maybe you're just full of life all of the time. I'm a morning person. Anyone else morning person? Yeah? I just 
kind of spring chicken. It takes me about five seconds to wake up normally. And, uh, and by nine o'clock in the evening, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of waning in some ways. Um, yeah. Anyone an evening person? A few people evening people. You come alive at night. It's like, that's great. But know yourself and know when, when to have that time with God. But, but be careful because I'm not talking about a quiet time. I'm talking about the secret place all the time. Otherwise, we have this view that we can have this slot with God and we've served others and now we serve God or we serve God first and then we serve others and that's done. When actually the secret place God's calling you to is to know him in the every hour. is to have fellowship with him every moment where you can. I just want to point you to a verse in, in uh, Luke, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and in a passage that's just so precious as Jesus heals a leper. And I can't imagine what it must have been like for this guy because it, it says it very clearly, uh, what his situation was. Verse 12, he was in one of the cities and there came a man full of leprosy. Full of leprosy. Just can't imagine, can you? When he saw Jesus, he, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. And you can, it seems to be there's no one there at the time because he says, don't tell anyone this. But um, imagine touching him. Imagine if some people were watching, they would have just gone, he touches him and says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he charged him, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Assume the man went off to do that. But now, in verse 15, the consequence was even more. The report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And there's so much need and so much busyness and so much pressing in on us. Do you ever feel like that where there's just so much to do? Do you ever feel like maybe in your work you've just got so much to do and you've got to get to work early? I can't afford not to leave at 7 in the morning. There's so much to do. I've just got to get it done. At home, there's just endless stuff that needs doing. The children have been cared for, but, you know, there's a whole pile of things, a whole list to do. Schoolwork never seems to cease. In church life, we can just be so busy. And yet, I just love verse 16. And the contrast to verse 15 is powerful. In, in verse 15, that you could be led to the conclusion that Jesus needed to continue working 24-7 for weeks until everyone was healed. But it doesn't say that. Verse 16, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus knew the value of just running to his father, if I can put it like that. He, he ran to the father. He knew when to be with the father, to have time with him and just enjoy. I, I imagine him enjoying intimacy with the father. And I think we need to see this as the, the Lord Jesus receiving from the Father. I think there's a danger. We think of our quiet time as I've got, got to give to others. In order to give to others, I need to give my bit to God first. That's a mistake if that's all we see our quiet time as. When we see our quiet time, if, if that's a time that we call it, or whatever, our time with God, if you withdraw yourself to have time alone with him, try and see it as time where he refreshes you, where he actually comes and meets with you and ministers to you. And I think this is how Jesus was able to minister to others, not because he was giving out all the time, but when he came to God, the Father, he was just able to receive help by his Spirit. 
Wouldn't you have loved to have kind of been, a, I was going to say a fly on the wall, but if Jesus was withdrawing himself, I imagine he went into desolate places where there were no walls. But imagine a wall. I, I'm imagining a drone right now because they look cool. Imagine the disciples if they were drones, silent drones. Do you think they'd be tempted just to get a little microphone on a drone and just kind of follow him from a distance? Just kind of hovering over a rock while Jesus is alone. I would because I'd just love to know. Wouldn't you love to know what Jesus was talking to the Father about? And just teach me, Jesus. Teach me how I should pray like you. Teach me how to relate to the Father. The disciples asked him, didn't they? Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them. And that is a blessing of the secret place, to learn from the Father, to to just enjoy his word. You know, just as a personal testimony of Bible read-throughs, they're not the only way to read the Bible, but they're a great way. And I've just seen a number of guys in our church having done a read-through myself through Cordeo, walked through a number of read-throughs with the guys since uh, 2013, and the guys I've done read-throughs with, I've just watched some of them really flourish, and I'm thankful I've had the privilege of flourishing with them in many ways. We just enjoyed God together, and uh, uh, relationships have been built, so that's just a a word on Bible read-throughs. That's not the only way to read the Bible, but just time with God to, to hear his heart and to, to reciprocate, to respond to his love. There are three aspects that I just want to, in closing, talk to you about regarding the, the secret place. Three blessings. There are many blessings. There's three things that really help us in serving others. Three reasons, if you like, why running to the secret place is a really good thing to do. To run to Jesus in the secret place. To, to know him increasingly in that secret place. And, and the first reason is this. There's cleansing. You know, when we come to the Lord in the secret place, there is cleansing. It's good to tell the Lord what's been troubling you. I just wonder if I could ask a question to those who are, who are Christians who've trusted Jesus as Savior. How are you finding your confessions? It's not a kind of word we use. It almost sounds like it's not a word we should use because it could be misunderstood. But confession of sin is a good thing. Talking to Jesus about what we've been struggling with is a really important thing. How's it going for you in, in your life when you talk to Jesus? I wonder sometimes whether we're in danger of just being a bit too brief with our confessions. Maybe at night time when we're having that time praying or maybe in the morning or whenever. Kind of generalizing what we've done. Oh, sorry, I wasn't very patient or sorry, I wasn't this or that. And we could probably categorize them in about 10 things. And so never we maybe maybe never come outside of about 10 confessions. They're kind of broad things. I don't know whether that might be true in your life. I found myself increasingly recently being more specific, even to the point sometimes of speaking out loud to the Lord and just telling him that I don't find him attractive right now. That sounds an awful thing to say, doesn't it? But you know, when, you're, when, we're in, when we're wanting to lean into sin, when we're wanting to engage in what we shouldn't ga- engage in, that's really what we're saying. Jesus... You can't offer me what this can offer right now. I, you know, I'll just give an example, like losing your temper with your kids. You know, I, that Jesus, I'm right. I know I'm right. And, and your love and your patience and your grace is not enough for me because I need to prove myself right. That's how I can be. That's how I've been. I wonder if you identify with that. Or maybe it's something else that you're struggling with, envy. Lord, I know, I know really I, I, sh- I shouldn't really want this thing, 
but this is the latest phone, and I know this is going to make my my work much easier and my home life much easier if I have this latest piece of technology. And Lord, I know it's not a sin, but I'm, I, I need to get into debt to do this, but I'm sure it's right. And you start justifying, because this thing, and it's not about whether the phone's right or wrong to have. It's that your heart is loving this thing so much, you're not even prepared to talk to God. Can I encourage you, just tell him that. Tell him how you feel. I really don't want you right now. Is there a way, Lord, you could help me change so that you could be more satisfying to me? I wonder if we were really frank with God about what our sin is. I think we would find ourselves in a better place to be victorious. So uh, an application then, with cleansing, the the joy of being cleansed and, and confessing our sin before God, what's the practical application in serving others? just want to offer uh, one to you. When you confess your sin in the secret place and have that close walk with God, you're in a great place to help others. You won't just see practical things in life as jobs to be done. You'll see other people as also precious and in need of grace. When you know how much you need Jesus, you'll be able to minister to others in that way. You'll be able to serve others with grace, with his grace. We could explore that more, but um, perhaps not for time's sake this morning. Maybe there's something we could talk about afterwards. might be uh, good. Secondly, there's protection. Protection. You know, when we come to the secret place, and particularly when we're prepared to confess our sin as it is, what we're really saying is, Lord, I want to be in the shelter. I want to be in that place where you're going to keep me and hold me. It's not like a magic charm that nothing's going to hit me, nothing's going to get me if I've had my quiet time. That's not what it is. But it's just a gaze to Jesus. And when you're right with God and when you know that fellowship with him, that, that deep fellowship with him, it's hard to sin. Because why would you want to then come away from that fellowship with the Lord because he's been so good to you. You've enjoyed time with him. To, to walk away from him would just be madness because he is so good. There's protection when you run to him. His spirit stirs within you a love for him. What does that look like in, in your life? You know, when you're victorious in sin, when we're going to serve others in our church life and in our community, it really frees you up. When you've known his protection and when you've had victory in your battle against sin, it's such a wonderful place from which to help others. You can talk to people. and You can even share your victories with them in a way that glorifies Jesus. You can say, the Lord really helped me this week. You know, I was tempted in this area, but you know what? I just praise God. He gave me that strength, and I just want to point you to him. Uh, protection and knowing his protection fosters a servant heart. Finally, cleansing and protection lead to greater assurance. And again, assurance is one of those things that sounds like it's a list of things we need to perform. I need to do this, this, and I need to be assured. I need to trust Jesus. Come on, trust him. Be assured. That's not what assurance is. I I see assurance in Scripture uh, pretty much in a way that uh, when a wife flourishes, when a husband loves her, When a husband pours his love on his wife, and we are not good examples of that at times as men, but if a husband is able to treat his wife like a queen and just cares enough to know what she loves and and puts her first, then there's a sense in which she flourishes. It's the word cherish. We don't use it these days, do we? Cherish. You ever 
used it in this, this week in a sentence. I cherished my breakfast this morning. You don't really kind of talk like that. But, but cherishing is a great word. You, you, to cherish is to hold someone in your hands and your heart and just love them for who they are. And when you love them for who they are, because they're made in the image of God and he loves them, then they, they flourish in that love. They're just set free. I, think, I, I believe that's what assurance is. Assurance is us sitting in the presence of God, hearing his love for us, being affirmed not because of what we've done, but because what he has done, and just seeing the gaze of our bridegroom and feeling affirmed and saying, yes, I know, Lord. I know that you have first loved me. That's how I can love. Cleansing and protection and assurance are just three of the blessings of being in that place, and they will help us to move from selfish serving and from living for ourselves, to serving like Christ and serving for Christ. To give ourselves, to offer ourselves in church life, to offer ourselves to our community in a way that glorifies and exalts Christ. Generous, a generous spirit replaces bitterness. Deep trust replaces fear. Letting go replaces control. Love for Christ replaces lust for empty promises. Right discernment replaces unhelpful judging. Contentment replaces envy. This is what happens when we lean into Christ to make him our gaze. I was uh, studying this week and just preparing this message, and I was uh, at a place called the Cotswold uh, water park. There's a, a cafe there. Some of you may have been there. And there's a lovely viewpoint. Sometimes I just go there to, to uh, find a bit of space away from the, the kind of Swindon area. Um, to, so I kind of don't know anyone. won't get into any conversations. Two of our church members were there having a coffee. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh well, thank you Lord. But they, they were just having their coffee, which was fine. And I was just sitting there and watching this this um, bird feeder was about, and it, I would have shown you on the photos, uh, but it, imagine a bird feeder about this high, and uh, there's just about five or six birds, just just all different kind of, it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet. There's loads of different things for the birds to have in different pods, and they're all flying around having them. And then I, I carried on with my study a bit more and looked up again, and it was completely gone. Not, not the bird feeder, the birds were gone bird feeder on its own, all quality food, and it was just empty. And I'm thinking, you know, what's gone wrong? And, uh, and then I looked down, to the bushes was coming a cat. <laughs> That's why they're gone. A bit like the sound at the moment. But the cat was just kind of prowling right beneath the bird feeder, and that was the problem. So uh, anyway, uh, the cat made its merry way. Shall I take it? This one? Okay, there you go. As the cat made its merry way out of the picture, soon the birds start coming feeding again. This morning, I was sitting at home just kind of finishing off preparation, praying, and our cat, one of our cats, was at home sitting on my windowsill, and suddenly it starts making this noise, and I know what it's doing when it makes this noise. Has anyone got a cat here? A few people. Have you ever heard a cat do this? Meh. 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 Meh like that. Well, our cat does this, and it's not meowing. That's a pathetic meow. Basically, it's when it sees a bird. Outside, it's looking, it's on my windowsill, looking out, going, and it just spots a bird like a magpie, and it starts going, eh, eh, eh. It's a really funny noise. It's like, I'll get you. It's like a real sinister, eh. And you just see him plotting how he would get this bird. 
you know, cats are cats. But we, we have an enemy that's going to stop us feeding on Christ. An enemy that's going to take away, if possible, the, the, the bread of life from under us uh, to stop us feeding. And the enemy is not a cat, it's a, it's a lion. He is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And my prayer for us and for our church as well is that this week, may we enjoy intimacy with Christ. May we enjoy his gaze, looking at the beauty of Christ, and may the devil be far from us. Uh, May we know that whilst with that bird feeder, the cat, if he tried hard enough, he probably could have uh, knocked over the bird feeder. Do you know when we come into God's word, the devil can make as much roaring as he likes, but he cannot touch us. We are safe in Christ. We're hidden in him when we run to him. And sometimes we get bothered by this roaring sound of the, of the lion. But we're in Christ. And if we're in him, then we are safe. So may the Lord bless us in, in our times this week, in our fellowship with him. I mean, let me just pray and bring this to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your, your love for us and the fact that you call us to this secret place. Thank you for intimacy with you. Thank you that we can know you. And that this love that you have for us, that that is satisfying, is all that we need. And we just ask, Lord, these are, I'm sure, things that we've heard before, but I I know I need to hear them again and again. Would you just make yourself more and more real to us? And Lord, because you are real to us, then we have victory over ourselves and our inward curve. And we have victory over the devil because you are in us and we're trusting in you and we're gazing on you. So bless us, we pray. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.